Well, we are in the second message of our Advent series, which is entitled Prepare the Way. Last week, Pastor Chris kicked us off and he talked about preparing our hearts. Today, I get to talk about preparing our homes, which is a vital part of the, of the Christmas and Advent season, right? Pastor Chris shared last week how when he was little, his mom did deep cleaning, right, to prepare their home for the Christmas season. And I don't love to prepare for the Christmas season. Like, I don't like to decorate. I know some of you want to drag me out even as I say that, but I don't know when the tree's going to get up. Like, there's hunting season to be done right now, right? But anyway, you know, I, I don't have many memories around decorating, usually because I was trying to get out of it. But one I do have in particular is every year as a, as a child, my mom and my dad and my sister and I would unbox and sort of untangle all of these little electric candles. And these candles we'd put in the windows at the front of our house, and my dad kind of rigged them because the cords weren't long enough to reach all the outlets, so they were taped together. This is a terrible fire hazard. But anyways, we would put up these lights in front of our house on the windows that, that, that looked out over the, to the roadway, and it was really beautiful, if I'm honest. You know, from the road, you'd see these lights in the windows. And to this day, if I go into a bedroom at night and it's lit with like a little incandescent bulb, it makes me think of Christmas because we prepare for this season. But as Pastor Chris mentioned last week, when we're preparing for this season, we're not necessarily preparing for the birth of Jesus. That already happened. But Advent means a coming, an arrival. We're preparing for when Jesus is returning again. We're preparing our hearts and our homes, our communities, and the world for the return of Jesus. And we get to start by preparing our hearts, as Pastor Chris mentioned last week, because our hearts are the foundation, right? The relationship that we have with God is the foundation of all we think and say and do. Let me say that again. Our relationship with God forms the foundation of all we think and say and do. That's why we started there, and we have to remember that. But oftentimes, as Pastor Chris stated last week, we forget. We forget about the importance of the advent, the coming of Jesus. He actually said this last week, and I wanted to share it again today. The pressing matters of this life take center stage. We focus on making a living, rearing our children, having fun, or providing security for the future, or any of a hundred of other things. But we forget, Jesus told us his return would be like a thief in the night or like a master who went away on a long journey, leaving his servants in charge. The moment of his return is a mystery, but that he will return is a certainty. Jesus will return. And when we were preparing, when we were planning this message series in our meetings this previous year, as we talked it through, our intent, our hope was to help all of us understand sort of what it would look like if Jesus, or what it ought to look like, what should it look like if Jesus were to return today, right? How should our, what, what, our, what should our hearts look like? How should our homes look? You know, imagine, like, Jesus walks through your door tomorrow. What should our homes look like? What should our communities look like? Now, if you'd have asked me that a couple of years ago, if Jesus was coming over to dinner, I'd have probably freaked out, right? Like, oh my gosh, Jesus is coming to dinner. I, in the Mary and Martha narrative, I know which of the two sisters I am. We're getting stuff ready for Jesus, right? Like my kids are going to be bathed, you know, and they're going to be all prim and proper. We may even put on button-ups. It might be a very formal affair, 
you know? And so we're going to have the table set, and it's going to be as perfect as it can be because Jesus is coming for dinner. If you'd have asked me a couple years ago, that's the image that would have come to mind. But reality isn't perfect, is it? Right? Our lives aren't perfect. And if I'm honest, if Jesus were to return today, I actually would kind of hope that he wouldn't see a perfect home. Rather, I hope that if he arrived today, he wouldn't find our houses perfect, our homes perfect, but rather he would find them full, full of folks who do not yet know him and those that need a touch, folks that are in a stage of life where perhaps they need to be part of community in some way. Today, we're going to talk about how our homes can be prepared and what they ought to look like should Jesus return. A big part of that is what is known as hospitality. In her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, Dr. Rosario Butterfield talks in depth about what she calls radical, normal, biblical hospitality. It's a wonderful book, and I'd invite you to pick it up. Also, if you have a Right Now Media account, which all of us do because we're part of New Life, if you don't have access to that, just email the office, they'll get you set up. But on Right Now Media, she actually has her book, it's like a little study session. 45 minutes, you can blow through the whole thing. I did it the other day, just to be refreshed on the talking points. But, but she talks about radical, normal, biblical hospitality. And she, helped us, she helps us understand a really key concept about when we read the term hospitality in the Bible. When we read that in the New Testament, in the Greek, the literal translation of hospitality means love for the stranger. Love for the stranger. So when we read that word, hospitality, it means love for the stranger. And in her book, she unpacks how we can leverage sometimes our homes, but many of our relationships to display hospitality for the love of the stranger. And I know she's on to something because if we know anything about the heart of God, it's that he cares about people, right? You cannot read through the Bible, both the Old Testament and the New, and not see God's heart for people. In the Old Testament, he commands the nation of Israel to care for the widow, the orphan, the oppressed, the foreigner, the outcast, care for people, be a light to the nations, he says repeatedly over and over and over again. In the New Testament, Jesus shares parables about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and even a lost son, and the rejoicing that results when those things are found or the son returns. We have a heart, we have a God who has a heart for people. And we know that he has a heart for people because we've all felt that if we've come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. We've all been strangers at one point in our lives until Jesus came in and rescued and restored us and brought us into the family of God. So as we, as we prepare for the return of Jesus in our homes, we get to display hospitality as well. Our take-home point sums up this reality and it quite simply states this, to be ready for Jesus' coming, we must prepare our homes. Our homes get to be a part of this kingdom work as well. As we prepare our hearts with intentionality, so too ought we to prepare our homes. And we ought to take hospitality seriously. And here's why. Hospitality is actually a biblical command. It's one of those things that, if you're like me, sometimes you read through the commands of Scripture and you go, I like that one. And there's other ones you go, don't like that one as much. This one, I'm kind of on the fence on sometimes. But it's one of those commands in Scripture that God makes apparently clear. Because if we have a heart like He does, 
we get to display hospitality. We're going to look at that in our passage for today. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, I'd invite you to turn to Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to look at a couple of verses in Hebrews and then also Romans chapter 12. The words will be up on the screen. But before we look at the Bible, please let's pray. Lord God, we thank you. We praise you for who you are, for the work of your hand. Lord, I ask that as we look into your scripture this morning, that you would reveal your truth to us in a way that we can understand, internalize, and live out. Change and restore us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 2 says this. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. So the author of Hebrews, we actually don't know who the author of Hebrews is, is reminding really Jews. Hebrews are Jews. They are a Jewish people. And so he's writing specifically to a group of Jewish folks, but by extension, we can take the truth that he's conveying to them and and apply it to our lives as well. He's reminding them of the reality that we have to care for brothers and sisters in the faith, and we also have to care for strangers, because in so doing, some forefathers in the history of faith have entertained angels. Now, if we take that passage and we look at it literally and we, and we input the literal translation of, of hospitality, it reads like this. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters, those who know Jesus. Don't forget to show love for strangers. So we have care for those who know Jesus and care for those who do not yet know him. It's very similar to a passage in Romans chapter 12, verse 13 which says this, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality. Again, if we were to look at it literally, it would say this, share with the Lord's people who are in need, those who know Jesus, practice love for strangers. So why would the author of Hebrews and the Apostle Paul, he's the guy that wrote Romans, why would they include both of these things in the same passage right next to each other? Well, it's because I believe, and I think Paul and the author of Hebrews knew this, that once we enter into the family of God, we experience this incredible community, don't we? Right? We experience the love for each other. It's actually a supernatural gift. And as a result of that, sometimes we get so focused on that community that we forget the stranger. We forget the stranger. And the fellowship that we, get to, that we get to have with each other, and that's what it means when Christians come together, it's called fellowship within our Christian community. That's the terminology that we get to use. Fellowship's an incredible gift from God. It's something that we should not ever ignore. It's an incredible gift from God. But right next to it, both the author of Hebrews and the Apostle Paul say, but don't forget the stranger. Don't forget the stranger. And the author of Hebrews actually reminds the readers, like, hey, don't forget, some folks in our lineage, in our history, have actually entertained angels. You can read about it in Genesis. Abraham entertained entertained angels. Lot entertained angels. They invited strangers in who they did not know into their home, and they entertained angels. Now, I don't know that I've entertained an angel ever. I don't know that I ever will, or we ever will. I'm not sure. We've hosted some kids that were pretty angelic sometimes, some that weren't. But regardless, the point of it is that we have a heart for the stranger because we don't know where they are or where they're coming from and what they may need from us. 
So how do we extend love for the stranger? How can we be hospitable? Well, as Pastor Chris mentioned last week, it starts with the preparation of our hearts, right? We start there because God loved us. He called us, and we became part of his family. And it's as we experience his truth and love that transforms us that our hearts are changed and transformed for the stranger. Our hearts reflect the heart of God. Again, fellowship is an amazing and incredible gift that we get to experience with each other as well. But we cannot neglect the stranger. One of the things that I love about new life is how we live this out practically, especially on the weekends. It was something that I experienced the first time I came to new life. We all had a first time coming to new life, right? Even if you were here at the very, very, very beginning, there was a first time, right? And the first time I came to new life, I thought, wow, all these folks are saying hi to me. They don't even know who I am. It was a wonderful experience. It's part of our mission strategy. It's part of our culture. It's something I've seen Pastor Chris live out day after day, week after week, as he's greeted folks. I see so many of us greet folks. And if you're a first-time guest here today, know that we don't think you're a stranger. We think you're our guest. We prepared for you. We prayed for you. We expected you to be here today. And we're so thankful that you are here It's something that we get to do here in this place. Now, the question is, what is this place, right? What is this place? Is this place this building, or is this place the collection of people of which it's comprised? See, oftentimes we think that we're hospitable in this location, but friends, that's not the reality. The reality is that as followers of Jesus, as members of New Life Christian Ministries, as regular attenders, as part of the family of God, this place extends from here to the ends of the earth. Sure, we're hospitable here on the weekends, but we get to be hospitable in every interaction that we have, and we get to use our homes for that each and every day. If we believe the church is just a building, we've missed it. The church is not a building, but it's a collection of people. And so we must open our doors to the stranger personally, just like we open them every weekend here. And this can be a challenge in Western Pennsylvania, and I'll tell you why. My first real job out of college was I was a youth director at a church in Beaver County. And I enjoyed my time there. I learned a lot. I got to serve under a lead pastor who... I'm actually quite thankful, wasn't from Western Pennsylvania. I don't know how he got in, right? He and his wife, they were from out of town. He was from Cincinnati, Ohio area, actually Dayton. He was a Bengals fan. How dare he, right? She grew up in Michigan. I don't think she watched football. I didn't hold that against her. But anyways, they weren't from Western Pennsylvania. They traveled throughout the U.S. They spent some time in England, and then they came to minister in Beaver County, And during my time there, they taught me a lot about what our culture, what it's like here in Western Pennsylvania from an outsider's perspective. Now, I'd gone away for a couple of years for college, but not really. I hadn't traveled extensively at that point, so I was always eager to hear what they thought of us. And they said, you folks are wonderful people, some of the friendliest folks that we know. But just know that in Western Pennsylvania, People are very friendly, but they are not hospitable. And I went, oh, well, how dare you? What do you know, you who have traveled extensively? And I said, well, what do you mean by that? They said, listen, very friendly. You will talk to us. You will ask us about our kids. You'll talk about the Steelers. You'll check in on our family. But 
but folks by and large in Western Pennsylvania will never invite you into their home. And I went, huh. And then I thought about it and I went, I could see that. I could see why that might be. And then I asked them, well, why do you think that is? And actually, since that point, I was in my early 20s when they told me that. Since that point, and if you're not from Western Pennsylvania, part of you are like right now is going, yeah. So, but I've asked folks who aren't from this area, do they have the same perception? And if so, why? Into a person, they've all gone, yeah. And I go, why? And they said, Here, here's why. You never leave. I went, oh. What do you mean? He said, listen, you live here. Some of you move away, but you inevitably come back. You die here. And so you have family, like to the 10th generation, right? So you're always entertaining them. Oh, that's true. And then they said, and not only that, but you have friends that you went to kindergarten with and first grade with and through high school with, and you probably went to college together somewhere just like north of the I-80 corridor. I mean, that you never leave. And I went, no wonder we're friendly but not hospitable because we have all of these familial ties. We have all these friend ties. And if you move from like one small community to another, you've got to crack that egg all over again, right? Heaven forbid you move from like Saxonburg to Renfrew or something. It's a whole different world. It's a whole different clique you got to break into. I come from Shakora. We think you people are crazy. <laughs> 422 is a barrier for a reason, you know? But the reality is, friends, that's part of our culture. And it was a valuable critique for me to hear as a young 20-something because they were spot on. And it's been my experience, by and large, that we are horribly friendly folks. But there is this invisible barrier that's in front of our doors that we open to friends and we open to those with whom we're fam sometimes begrudgingly, but we let them in. But very rarely do we do that for the stranger. And as, as Christians, as followers of God, when we live lives like that, we forget the stranger. We don't invite them in. And there's something that miss, that's missing because when we do open our homes, they can literally come in and taste, if the food's decent, and see the goodness of God within a familial context. For some folks, that's so countercultural, they've never seen a family like that or what it ought to look like. Dr. Butterfield goes on to say that this can be enacted in a number of ways, and my wife and I have thought a lot about that, and we've thought about what it would look like for us to begin to display hospitality at our homes. So a couple of years ago, we had folks over for a potluck, uh, just a picnic, and we had, held it outside because I'm not inviting all those people into my house. No, just kidding. <laughs> so we're outside having a picnic, and inevitably, our neighbors some of whom who have lived on the road for 30 years looked at each other and went, you know, I never knew you. You're a great guy. And they began to experience the truth and love of God. And the only religious thing is, is I prayed before we ate and thanked everyone for coming and said that we did this because we have a generous God who loves and cares for us and we want to get to know our neighbors as well. That creates what Dr. Butterfield calls an awareness and awareness is simply that we interact with people who don't know Jesus every day. That's the first step. She's very, very clear that hospitality can take a number of different forms, right? And we're going to talk about those some here in, in a moment. But ultimately, 
Awareness is the baseline. We are aware that there are folks around us who don't know Jesus. So we're going to do a little exercise this morning. If you would, just close your eyes for a moment. No one's going to come in and like, you know, yell at you or anything. Just close your eyes. You're in a safe space. And think of your neighbors. Imagine their faces. Think of those who live across the street or down the road. Think of who they are. Think of your coworkers or those who you get to go to school with. Think of the folks that you go to the gym with, that maybe are on a sports team with you, or they're the parents of the kids who are on your kids' sports teams. Think of those folks. And once you have a couple of faces in mind, just open your eyes. Now take out your phone. We all have phones. Go ahead, I'll give you a second. Take out your phone or a scrap of paper or a pen. And just quickly jot down some names. Just a couple, two or three. And think about this implication, friends. Think about this. We have a God who cares desperately for the stranger. It's all throughout Scripture. We can't miss it. Even a cursory glance will show you. And we know that he strategically places his people in community, in those places, to be his salt and light. Think of it like this. God has strategically placed you in your home, in your workplace, in your community to be his salt and light to who? Those people. They might be your mission field that you've been looking for. You might be the only Jesus that they ever see in this lifetime. Because we have a God who cares desperately for those who do not yet know him. And think, do they know him? Do I know their names? Do I know what they do, what their status is in life, kind of who they are? Because God has a heart for them, and we get to as well, just as someone once had a heart for us and helped us come to that understanding as well. That's big, right? That's a lot of weight, which is why the next step is we pray. We pray over these folks daily, weekly, monthly. We ask the Lord for opportunities to extend hospitality. We pray for interactions. We pray for them. As we get to know them, we lift them up in prayer in different ways. And then finally, we plan. We plan for ways in which we get to be hospitable. And here's here's the thing, friends. It looks different for each of us, and that's okay. It's not a legalistic thing. You don't have to have folks over you know, next Tuesday, every month, every week. It doesn't matter. But ultimately, we extend the heart of hospitality. Dr. Butterfield, actually, I read in her book, or excuse me, watched on Right Now Media, that they have a community dinner in their home every night. And as soon as she said that, I'm like, you people are nuts. There ain't no way that the likers are doing that. I mean, Jesus would have to descend. And we would have to have a conversation in a cloud or something, probably on the way home. But anyway... Like, uh, no. What does it look like for us? My wife and I, we, we, we've decided that we want to get to know our neighbors. We do the picnic. We're very intentional about those relationships. We have folks over for dinner a couple of times a month. We want to build those relationships. Some of you go, my house is small. It's fine. Go out for dessert. It's cheaper than dinner. You know. And just know that as God moves, as we, pl- as we pray and as we plan, God will grant opportunities. Some of us will open our homes to foster care. 
Some of us will have never seen that coming. Some of us will have adoption placed at our, foot, at our feet. We will never have seen that coming. Some of us will have an opportunity to welcome folks into our homes in different ways. I will tell you this, that if you are a follower of Jesus, you will develop a heart for those who do not yet know him and who need help, and your home will be opened in a variety of different ways, most often in a way that you will have never foreseen. But God will move in those ways, and we get to extend that hospitality. Now, when we do it, it's a wonderful life-giving event. And some of you are going, it's not wonderful and life-giving. I know, I get it. I'm an introvert. Do you know what I like? My home, alone, quiet, with no people in it. My kids and my wife are on in Cincinnati right now celebrating a wedding. It's fantastic. My house, I haven't had this much energy in months, probably years. It's so clean, so clean. Every time we invite someone over for dinner or we open up our home, it's a challenge for me, right? Because folks, Let's just be honest, I love all of you, but through no fault of your own, my home is this oasis where I go to recharge my batteries because folks just suck the life out of me through no fault of their own. But my batteries are drained oftentimes and I go home and I just recharge and refresh or I go sit out in the woods and I pretend that I'm hunting because I love that time, that stillness. But you know what I love more? I love more when a couple of weeks ago, we invited a family over through a freak accident at their house. They can't live in it right now. So they're living with her parents, which, wow, when you're almost 40, I can only imagine. And so, so they're, and we said, we should have you guys over for dinner just to get you out of the house. And as they were sharing about kind of what happened, and this guy, this, the husband, was just this really deep thinker. He was asking these questions. I'm like, where have you been all of my life? These are great questions. And he actually said at one point during the conversation, he said, Barry, what motivates you in life? What motivates me? Did you like watch a YouTube video? How do you know to ask that question? That's a great question. I was like, what motivates me? And I said, well, Jesus motivates me. And I got to share the truth and love of Jesus in that moment with our neighbors. And in a couple of weeks here, we get to go help them put their house back together a little bit. And we get to pray over that now because we know their names and we know the names of their kids. My kids, I can't begin to brag on them enough. When folks are coming over for dinner, they run around the house, new friends are coming today. It's incredible. I love it. I'm like, they're coming. Daddy needs a nap. I'm going to go to my workshop to do something for a while to get ready for our friends. But they're great. They make them gifts. They draw pictures for the new friends that are coming through the door. That is the heart of God displayed in the lives of my children. Yeah, is there a cost? Absolutely. Is it worth it? Yeah. And for some of us in the room, we're going, I can't do this right now. I can't. You don't understand. Oh, I do. Some portions of my life, I have needed hospitality. I have needed fellowship. And I'm so thankful for the folks who noticed that in those times and went, hey, you want to come over? It's like, yeah, I do. Sometimes we need hospitality, we need fellowship in our lives. Maybe we've lost a loved one. Maybe we just had a baby. Maybe we're caring for an elderly relative. Maybe life is just really hard right now. And if that's the case, friends, drink deep from the fellowship and community that God's family affords and the hospitality that comes from the heart of God. Drink deep because the day will come where we get to pour that out to a world that's in desperate need of him. And we get to display that heart to the stranger as well. Friends, that's what our relationship with God is all about. We come together as fellowship community, even on weekends like this. Why? To exalt the name of the Lord, to lift him on high, 
to be filled with his presence. We do that daily, weekly. We get to fellowship with one another to be encouraged for love and good works. Also that we're poured out like a drink offering to God's honor and to God's glory for a world that's in desperate need of it. Friends, during this season, we will prepare our homes as intentionally as we prepare our hearts for the arrival of a baby. But we're going to do that with a different understanding, that we're doing it for the return of the God-man Jesus. And my hope and prayer is that if he returns today, tomorrow, or any day in the future, that he finds our homes not perfect, but he finds them full. And I thank each and every one of you who have displayed that in practical and tangible ways. Because as we continue to do so, we'll be living out our next step for today, which is I will prepare a home so others will experience Jesus' presence. That's the goal, friends, that as folks are welcomed into our homes, they experience the very presence of Jesus, the heart of God, who makes all things new, starting ultimately with us and extends that to a world that's in desperate need of him. Amen? Amen. Today, we get to celebrate the Lord's Supper, which is true hospitality because we get to share a meal with each other. Jesus was wonderful when he ordained this meal. It was a wonderful statement on his part to really formally welcome us into his family. That's what this meal means. And we have an open Lord's table here at New Life, which means that if you know Jesus as Savior and Lord, you're welcome to participate. And if you don't yet know Jesus as Savior and Lord, we often say here at New Life, why not today? Why not come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord today? It's simple. It's not easy. Simple because we just admit our need for him. Not easy because it's a commitment that we make that, frankly, we'll live out for the rest of our lives. But if that's you here today, in a moment we're going to pray. And I would invite you that when I give the opportunity that you would lift up a prayer to the Lord, doing three simple things in that prayer. We say here at New Life, it's as simple as A, B, C, admit, believe, confess. We admit that we're sinners in need of a Savior. We believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be, the Son of God which gives him to write, the right to be our Savior and our Lord. Savior saves us from sin and death. Lord means he's our owner, our master. He gets to tell us what to do. We confess our need for him. And we also confess that we need to be freed from a life of sin and death. If that's you here today as we pray, I would invite you to walk through that and take that next step today. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We praise you for who you are, for the work of your hands. God, I ask that right now, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would move in our hearts. Fathers, particularly for any of those who do not yet know you, Lord, I ask that you would lead, guide, and direct. That you would open, that you would prompt hearts as only you can, Father. And that they would simply respond by saying, Jesus, I need you in my life this day. I admit that I'm a sinner in need of you. I cannot do this on my own. I believe that you are the Son of God, my Savior and Lord, and I confess that I can't do this on my own. And I hand over my life to you to be the Savior and Lord of all that I am from this day forth. Lord, for those of us who do know you, I ask and pray that even now you would begin to work in our hearts, minister to our spirits, that we would display your normal, 
radical hospitality to strangers, to guests who are in desperate need of you. We thank you. We praise you. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.